Today on episode number 364, Terry Green joins me and talks about creating and extending open education. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. I'm so glad to have Terry Green joining me for today's episode. He's an e-learning designer at Trent University. He's also the host of two podcasts, Getting Air, the Open Pedagogy Podcast, and Check the OL, Liner Notes for Groundbreaking Online Learning, co-hosted with Anne-Marie Scott. He holds a B.E.D. in Elementary Education from the University of Alberta and an M. SC in Instructional Design and Technology from the University of North Dakota. He's interested in both the cutting and trailing edges of uses for technology in education, especially those that increase the human element in technology-enabled learning. Hint, hint, those are probably the more open ones. Terry Green, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on this list of guests. I'm excited to chat. I am somewhat intimidated, as you know, by having you here because you are such a superb interviewer and storyteller through that process and other processes. And you do such an amazing job with preparing episodes. And so anyway, I'm just glad I got over myself and you're here. And I'm so glad to be having this conversation. To start out, we have so much to share today. But to start out, I'd love to just go big and ask you, how do you come up with ideas? I think you just have to wait for them. Uh, it's it's very strange to say, but Gardner Campbell, my favorite keynote ever was the opening keynote that opened at 16 in Richmond, Virginia. It was all about insight. And the insights came from, they just came from letting them happen. Like there's an actual gamma rays happening or gamma waves. I don't even remember, but the whole story was based on the, this insight a smoke jumper had to save his own life in a forest fire that the others didn't listen because mm. it sounded so crazy and uh, it worked. He threw the, he started a fire to save his own life and uh, the others perished. Obviously that, that's terrible, uh, but the insight was unbelievable. And so the answer to me is, you know, I, you just got to keep taking things in, follow paths you're interested in it, but wait for the insight to happen and then act on it when it comes. Hmm. I'm I'm going to have to look and see if that's available. I suspect that's probably available somewhere. I believe I... Robin DeRosa periscoped it. I don't even think periscope is a thing anymore, but you mm. would like basically live stream from your phone. Um, and it's actually a decent version. And I think I'll be able to find it. Oh, my gosh. So before we started recording, you even just once again, this is not new for me or you because you you do this kind of thing all the time, but you notice that this is episode 364 and then you said, hey, well, you're one episode away from being able to have someone listen to an episode every single day for an entire year. And just what you just shared about Gardner Campbell's 
insights for you. Reminds me a little bit of the Mary Oliver quote about pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And I think some of that, what you're describing is reminding me a little bit just of the importance of paying attention before you even, I think sometimes we just try to go straight for it, have the idea. And I don't see that with you, that pressure. It's almost like you can live without that pressure and just pay attention and then see what emerges. Because I, I don't think I ever would have noticed that about it. It's just, you know, and, and you, you constantly seem to be paying attention and then being astonished. And, and you seem to be a person full of joy in those noticing of things and then telling about them. I think that joy is a keyword of something missing in education a lot that doesn't have to be. And I do, yeah, I do look for that and wait for it and share it when I see it. Well, we're going to get to hear about a few of these projects and creations of yours. And I know that, I, I shouldn't say I know that. My suspicion is you don't do anything alone. <laughs> that no. there, There's always other people involved. So this next, this first project that we're going to talk about, I know, is definitely one of those those ways. But let's just, just back up a moment and have you start by telling us, what is a patch? A patch, I think, is a piece of a bigger thing. So like a patch of land is a piece of a bigger, you know, maybe a bigger farm or ranch or something. And a patch on your jean jacket, like a Wu-Tang or a Led Zeppelin patch is a, you know, a, a probably a piece of a collection showing a, a greater collection of things, I think. And what's a patch book? A patch book is a collection of works by not just one person, but many people, everybody choosing one topic that they are drawn to share their take on. And, you know, if you get 20 people to do that, you have 20 patches, put them together, you got a patch book. And finally, we're actually not even finally, (laughs) the next question, (laughs) um, what's an open patch book? The open part means it's, um, I think that's part of everything there uh, is that it would is shared openly with an open license, uh, creative commons license, and everybody understands that before they contribute to it. And this open patch book, uh, well, there's two of them, is meant to be a, a community quilt of learning or teaching that you get enough together, put them together into one thing, and it covers not everything, but covers you mm. for that topic. Mm. And I know that creating an open patch book has had some unexpected benefits for you. Would you talk a little bit about some of the fruits of your of your labor? <laughs> yeah, um, I do think it's well. First of all, it's it's the act of collecting patches and with pe- connecting with people who want to contribute has built, grown my my own personal professional learning network greatly, which has been very beneficial. But this in twenty nineteen and. Here's a promotion of being a self-promoter once in a while, not overly, but I saw a, a nomination form for the Open Education Global, the OE Global Awards, the Open Pedagogy Award. And I was like, well, I kind of think the patch book might be in there as a, something to consider for that award. Why should I wait to see if someone else would nominate me? I'm going to nominate myself. It said self-nominations are welcome. So I did. And I won the Open Pedagogy Award for 2019 from OE Global and just so happened to be in Milan, Italy. So I, I was able to, to go, brought my 18-month-old daughter with us, with me. And it was 
like the end of 2019. So it was literally a couple months before like Milan got ravaged pretty bad by COVID. So we were, the timing was very lucky because it was just before. Um, it was the last trip I ever took. <laughs> and it was really neat, like not only to get the award, but to, uh, you know, see the people who do open education at a global scale in person and, and, and hang out. It was awesome. So you, like me, like podcasts, you not only listen to them, but you also create them. Would you tell us about a couple of your podcasting projects? For sure. The The main one is called Get in Air. It's the open pedagogy podcast. So the idea is to connect with someone who does work in open education and get them some airtime to share with my audience about their work and the projects they're working on and what they're excited about and how they do their open education thing, which is really cool because I get to, to connect with them and meet them and, and even grow my, my network there that way too, which is a self-serving thing about it. But also I think for those who listen, they get a sense of who out there is doing uh, interesting work that they might want to connect with on projects and stuff. So that's, that's the idea with that one. And then what's the other one that you are doing with Anne-Marie Scott? Yeah, so Emery Scott's a deputy provost at uh, Athabasca University, which is Canada's, uh, you know, the open university in the UK. It's kind of Canada's distance university. And so basically I was last summer just building online courses like crazy. I had a lot of free time for my ears. So I was just listening to a lot of hip hop and kind of rekindling my love for it that I had at a young age and kind of lost it for a while. And and then I was started thinking, I, I want to learn more about, about hip hop to catch up on things. And I came across a book called Check the Technique, which is a, uh, basically the, the writer, uh, Brian, Brian Coleman, wanted to tell the stories of how the most groundbreaking hip hop albums came to be. So connect with the, the producers, the artists, the, the MCs, the everything, and just tell the story. And I was, and there's two, two books of it. There's a volume two. And it's just like, I was just devoured it. And it was so interesting. And I started to see connections between that and creating an online course, which is what I was focusing on doing and how technological hip hop was and how groundbreaking and innovative and, and connect, collecting things from the past and sampling it. Like I saw that, that you could do that in, in developing online learning. So I kind of ran the idea by Anne-Marie Scott one day saying, like, could there be a, a similar book here, not for hip hop, but for groundbreaking online learning? And she said, sounds cool. Let's write a book. And I said, this is going to be fun. Let's do it as a podcast first, mm -hmm. just to start to connect. So this is a podcast trying to work its way into a book. So at this point, we have eight kind of online learning experiences covered, two more planned for our first season. Courses like um, the the courses that Laura Gibbs, the online course lady, who just um, that's her Twitter handle, who um, just keynoted the OER and the domains conference. She does just amazingly works the the way myth and folklore are weaved woven together, and she developed the course like the way that the internet is woven together. Like it's just there's so far. 10 different projects that are just like mind-blowing how they've done it. So that's the idea. We're podcasting our way into a book by collecting the stories of the most groundbreaking that we think of online learning experiences in its history. So if you think 
back to the work that both of these podcasts have represented, what both for for starting out for open education mm-hmm. and for online learning, so you get to have two answers here, what's yeah. an often confused idea, concept, technique, something that people are generally confused about as they begin their learning journey in either of these domains? Well, maybe with open education is that it's binary, whether I'm open or not. And that's totally untrue. I like to think most educators are ajar, like they're slightly open as long as you're sharing stuff. And I think there are people in the open education realm that are too militant about what open means. And you just get, get stuck in, in mud that is silly. Like, are you willing to share some of your work? I think you're an open educator, whether or not what you've shared properly fits the five R's of open or not, you know, maybe some of us that are already in there that understand that can help you get there, but not shutting the door to like, I think you can really turn people off real quick if they're like, oh, that's not fully open. Well, I'd be like, well, then I'm not fully open. Bye-bye. You know, some people would be like that and I wouldn't blame them. So I would say, yeah, everybody here that thinks they're in the open education world should just be, and they mostly are absolutely well welcoming of people. And even if they don't want to call themselves an open educator, but just want to dabble, that's, that's great. I think. And a point of confusion with online teaching and learning. Oh yes. Yep. Yep. So I think the point of confusion is the, like, I don't know if it's confusion, but the debate is often, async versus synchronous, asynchronous versus synchronous and, and how to do that well and, and why one might be better than the other, one might be harder than the other. And this, you, we were talking about it before we recorded that I put my hat in the ring for the, the debate. If we were to have a debate about asynchronous versus synchronous. All right, we have one last project and, and last set of questions. Um, tell us about the MOOC that you're doing to extend one of your other projects? So I, I spent a couple of years on a secondment to an organization called eCampus Ontario, which serves all the public universities and colleges of Ontario, which is the, the largest province in Canada. So there's 45 institutions. And it is the institution is there to serve the enhancement of teaching and learning online and with technology. And for the most part, they're trying to provide shared services and a portal to online courses and stuff, but they made one course themselves to offer called Ontario Extend. And the idea is that you, it's a micro credential. The idea is if you finish it, you get the empowered educator badge, meaning you are empowered to teach in the 21st century. You're empowered to teach with technology. I was the program manager for that program when I was at eCampus. Now I'm at Trent University in Trent Online. And we've been kind of hyping up the idea that we would run a cohort of the MOOC from Trent, but inviting anybody in the world to join us to do it together. You can do it anytime you want because it's an open educational resource. It's got an open license. You could go and do it on your own anytime, but it's more fun to do it with, with friends. And just doing it together, we've invited people from all over the world. There's people from all over Canada and the States. There's some people coming with us from Africa. It's not huge. We call it a a lowercase m MOOC, Mm. meaning it's open online course. 
but we have people chatting every day doing daily stretch warm-up activities where we just get people thinking about what's their favorite book to do with pedagogy what's their what's your favorite icebreaker stuff like that and then people also share their work so you're not you know it's 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 an open educational resource steeped in open pedagogy so if you do some work you don't just submit it to a dropbox that nobody sees it but the the person giving you feedback everybody sees it if you're if you're comfortable with that um, so we're trying to like kind of model a way we think you might want to teach yourself and also do things that will be useful in your teaching. So one of the activities is to create a, a concept map, a visual concept map of your syllabus. And it sounds like a great idea and it sounds easy and it is a great idea, but it's not easy. And everybody in the middle of it starts to realize, oh, I got to kind of re rejig some things here. Because uh, it doesn't make as perfect sense as it did in my mind when I was developing these outcomes or whatever. And to be able to see each other do that has just been very valuable. So, and it's been around, extend the the idea of it has been around for almost five years now, but I, it hasn't gotten stale at all, in my opinion. And I think I'd like to plan to rerun this MOOC every spring as off-season training for teaching with technology, because we're not teaching ourselves we're just learning a bit about it so that's what we're doing right now and uh if we share the link it'd be great people could jump in you'd, you'd be jumping in late but you can still dabble with us and, and check things out i love the constant reminders that so many projects big and small in open education have of that there's not as many rules as there are in so many other contexts. And I'll still never forget that Ellen Levine, of course, often posts little mini assignments is the best word. I'm not even wording it right, but from a course that people may have heard us talk about before on the podcast, DS106. And one of them, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like, you know, take a picture of yourself or something like that in such and such a thing. And I totally didn't get it. And I did it and then I posted it openly. And then when I saw everybody else posting it, I was like, one of these kids is doing their own <laughs> thing. And I, you know, it's kind of that first, first moment of embarrassment. And I just start laughing at myself. Like, what, what do you have to be embarrassed of? You know, what, what is, what is wrong that you felt like you so had to get exactly what it was he was trying to have you do? And that's really not the point of it, you know, but it was a freeing thing. It was, it's hard to explain that I could have both of those feelings at the same time, but that's uh, it's what I love about all of that, that um, I also love this idea of that things that are tried and true, for lack of a better word, don't get stale. Mm -hmm. We don't have those conversations enough. Every conversation that we have around those things are is new and fresh and current versus the things that we're told are new and fresh and current so rarely are. And they're just recycles right. of things that have you know, keep coming back. <laughs> the daily stretch thing I mentioned is directly inspired by the DS106 daily create. Uh, that's what we're trying to replicate the fun of that. I did, I did hundreds of those and I kind of align a lot of the creative ability I may have with technology, teaching with technology and developing course with technology from that daily practice. Like I owe a lot to that practice and it's uh, very worthwhile. By the time this airs, I will have had a interview air that is feeling at this moment a little bit uncomfortable to air because it was just a whole world I didn't know anything about. And someone emailed me to say, I don't think your values necessarily were showing up in the ways that you think you were just because it's a world that I don't know a lot about, but it feels so vulnerable to do that. And yet 
every time I've ever taken those kinds of risks, those are the time that I hear from the most people that say, thank you so right. much. You know, one time I cried on the podcast about course evaluations and that is still to this day, that was years and years ago, but still to this day, the most I've ever heard from people in writing about wow. just how I connected with them. So yeah, living, living out in the open feels terrifying sometimes and also exhilarating at the same time. It does. And that's why I say like, just be a jar if you're not fully comfortable being totally open, just little bits as much as you're comfortable. And then maybe a little more next time. Yeah. Well, this is the point in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. And I wanted to share about, speaking of OER, an open course that actually a colleague who is attending a conference shared. So this is by Carrie Gritz of Austin Community College Library Services. The course is ACC Learn OER. And it is a wonderful introduction to open education. And this is from the description of it. ACC Learn OER is the result of the author's Spark Open Education Leadership Program Capstone Project. And she writes a special thanks to Austin Community College Administration, TLED, and Library Services for their support of this project. And it just is a wonderful, wonderful short course to go through. It has 10 different modules, everything from understanding open educational resources, why use OERs, an introduction to open licensing, finding and evaluating OER, accessibility, and a whole bunch more. It's just a wonderfully accessible course to get in there and, and learn some of the vocabulary, some of the ways things work. And, and I think a really easy way to get in and start to learn how you might be able to incorporate OERs. And just as Terry was describing earlier, you know, I think this really lives up to many of the principles involved in open education, such that she says you can just take it. It's built on Google websites. So you can you can take it and then make a copy of it and then you could edit it for your own purposes. And so that's um, what oftentimes these licenses allow us to do. And I was noticing I, I was sort of laughing at myself because I was noticing she said in her instruction, she says, make a copy of it and then put it, you could put it in your own Google Docs. And you and, and at first I thought, oh, gosh, I hope she doesn't have it. Just the fact that she had to say make a copy of it. I was like, oh, no, this this is going to be bad. I thought when I clicked the link, it's going to be like twenty seven hundred edits because I didn't remember. Well, I mean, I sh I'm laughing at myself because, of course, you can set it up where someone has to request to make an edit of it. So she hasn't, she doesn't let anybody just go in there, but she's just trying to help us if we don't already know that to yeah, go yeah. in and make a copy of it. But I did want to mention to people that there is another way to do this. So if you had a set of Google Slides or Google Docs or really anything Google that, that's created that way, if you were to go click on, on your web browser bar at the top and you were to go all the way to the end of that link, you would see something like a backslash followed by either edit or I mean, it depends on what you're doing, if you're viewing it or editing it. And yeah. that's a little trick that in um, so many of the Google sites, I mean, all of them that I've ever heard of, that if you were to take away everything after that final backslash that is the link, so getting rid of the word edit getting rid of any other additional numbers, whatever variables are there, but, but keep the last backslash there and then type the word copy. If you then copy the link that all of it, not just the word copy, but you copy that entire link 
instead of someone having to know how to go make their own copy, it just does it. That link produces a copy of it inside of if they're logged into Google Docs, for example, or logged into Google Slides, produces that copy there. And then it kind of saves them a little bit of a step. So uh, the other one that you can do in the same trick is to the same idea of getting rid of everything after that final backslash, not the word edit. So take the word edit out, anything else that's after it, and put the word view it will automatically bring that Google Slides, for example, into the presentation mode and is a much more browsable, easy way without the interface of, wait, how do I run this or constantly having the slide showing on the side. So that's a couple of little tricks that you can mess around with Google links that take away just a tiny, tiny bit of friction, something for you to experiment with. I can add a third to that. If you're, I assume this only works in Chrome, but you click just new tab and you just write doc.new new Google Doc. If you need to just take some quick notes, there it is. Say So on Google Chrome, open up a new tab, doc.new. Yeah, just go, yeah, new tab, type into the the, the bar, the URL bar, doc.new, and a new one will show up. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that one too. Yeah, I'll have this in the show notes and the recommendations segment. And Terry, I know you have some things to recommend for us as well. So I've already sort of recommended half of this and this might sound weird i think and this also this might fit better for being an instructional designer more so than a teacher but my recommendation is to look for parallels to what you do to create the learning experiences and environments that you create Uh, look for parallels in the things you're like the fun entertainment maybe things that you're passionate about like for example the check the technique book i was learning about how some of these great hip hop albums were made. So that's part of my recommendation, but also like, you know, I, I really like David Cronenberg movies, horror, weird, really weird horror films. He's, he's got probably 25 movies out, you know, get a DVD or a Blu-ray and watch it with his commentary. So find out how they made things happen. Uh, I just found this other series of books that I just ordered, I can't, you know, actually recommend them that they're good yet because I haven't read them. But, you know, it's deeper background stories from some some album. I, I'm into hip hop. So that's the, the albums I've ordered. It's called the 33 and a third series. There's like 140 of them from all kinds of genres. Pick an album that you love and go and read about how it came to be. And that maybe you'll be able to draw some inspiration from, you know, barriers they had to get around, weird people they had to collaborate with to make this piece of art happen. And maybe you'll, you'll find some kind of inspiration in, in your actual work to, to draw from, I think. You're reminding me of a book that I did already recommend, so I won't put it on the recommendations, but it's called Out on the Wire, The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio. And that's a graphic novel by Jessica Abel. And the forward is by Ira Glass. And as someone who I know loves podcasting it is so fun to get a behind the scenes look at some of the how this american life some of the the just ah amazing magnificent work what were some of the behind the scenes what trouble did they run into with some of the interviews there the how did they have to go back and what did they learn about interviewing along the way that's a that's a great great one i'll put it in the show notes um but yeah i did recommend it a long time ago it's so so great Oh, I want to check it out. Um, you've had Martha Burtis on before. It was just a funny reminder that uh, when I had Martha Burtis on and she she played the recording with her partner, 
he said something like, who is this guy? The Ira Glass of Ed, Ed Tech or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest compliments I ever had regarding my podcasting is that someone once said that I reminded them, my interviewing style reminded them of Krista Tippett, who does the On Being podcast. And those are the compliments, right? That we'll just take all the way, <laughs> all the way with us. It's just the greatest. Oh, yeah. Just the greatest. Well, I think, honestly, being asked onto this podcast, it does feel like probably like what it must have been like to be a comedian in the 80s getting asked on the on the Tonight Show or something with Johnny Carson or something like it, it's like the the thing to be asked on as a educator in the state age. So I'm I was this is like such a privilege to, to get to chat with you. Oh, and I feel exactly the opposite. So it's so funny and weird. That isn't that so funny and weird that I was nervous just to want to do justice. But I'm so glad about all the things we had a chance to talk about. And I also just love that I do feel comfortable in the sense of just knowing you and how open that you live in the in the world. It's just a treasure and um, also fun to get to see your family growing up too and all of that and just these little slices of your life that you share with us. So thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you so much. It was great. Terry Green, thanks a lot for joining me for today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed, episode number 364. And for those of you listening, if you'd like to access the show notes, they're probably already in your podcast player. But if you are unable to locate them or they're not there, head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash 364. I'd also love you to consider signing up for the weekly Teaching in Higher Ed update. Those notes can come straight into your inbox once a week. And also other things such as quotable words, other recommendations, and other good nuggets. So head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe to subscribe. If you'd like to connect with me on Twitter, I'm at Bonnie with no E, B-O-N-N-I 208. And thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.